0: Julia is at the back, and so if there are children in the service, we invite you to go back. And she has Bible bags and fun things for you to color and draw if that's what you would like to do. For the rest of us, I would ask that you turn to your Bibles in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a, a major prophet in the Old Testament, and this is the longest book in the Bible. Not in chapters, but in words. So, we're going to be in Jeremiah 20 today at verse 7. Keep that open, and we will um, be reading it in just a bit. So, for Lent this year, I gave up complaining. (laughs) When someone asked me if I was going to add it back in after Easter, I chose not to complain about their humor. And instead decided to change my wording around it to say that I was choosing to be more positive about the things that bother me in life. It was interesting how many first world problems I was able to let go of when I chose to. By nature, I am not a grumbler. But there are moments when things pile up and then I collapse everything together, giving everything equal equal weight in my rant. It's my hope that letting go of some of those frustrations while adding in spiritual disciplines made me a more content person. You might need to ask the people I live with or work with if that is true. I'm kind of a glass half empty kind of person and this is going to be an ongoing process. I trust I am not alone in this room about this. (laughs) One of my favorite cartoons on the subject is this one. These people go to a complaints department at some kind of department store. Oops. Oops only to be met by a woman who says, hey, and the alarm didn't go off, my car wouldn't start, I miss my bus, my back's complaining, my cartoon won't work, I haven't had a raise in two years. Get it, they went to complain to her and they end up getting complaints from her. It's really funny. Okay. (laughs) Guess you have to be a complainer to get it. Anyway... Experts in human interaction tell us that complaining is an integral part of our daily conversations. Some psychologists would even say that complaining is a necessary social tool. We use complaints as icebreakers to find a common connection with one another. Oh, huh, this weather, huh? huh? Wow, those people in Washington can't get anything, right? It's so stupid that I have to pay to download music. There are two types, basic categories of complaint: instrumental and expressive. An instrumental complaint is goal-oriented, meaning that we verbalize the problem in hopes of bringing about change. You might express how terrible the kitchen looks with all of the dishes piling up in the sink as a way to get the people that you live with to wash them. <laughs> You complain to the manager about the produce so that you might get a deal or because he might bring you the peaches from the back of the store. In contrast, the point of an expressive complaint is just to get something off your chest. When you call a friend to complain that the line at the DMV was too long and you missed your doctor appointment and that caused you to be late to pick up your kid, you're not looking for advice. Right? Like the lady in the cartoon, you don't want a solution. You just want a listening ear coupled with some sympathetic murmurings. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Doctors will tell you that getting something out can be healthy. But when it becomes a pattern of constant grumbling with no real interest in growing as a person or trying to solve the problem, we need to take a hard look inside. Basically, we complain in life because we're not getting what we want. In our text today, we read one of Jeremiah's complaints before God. Jeremiah has been faithful to do and to say some very unpopular and ugly things to God's people. He has withstood beatings, sufferings, insults, and humiliations of all kinds. He has stood up to kings and to leaders in the temple. Now he has hit a saturation point. And he takes a little time in private with the Lord to hash some things out. He needs a little expressive complaining to let go of what is inside of him. And as we read this, we see that there are certain components that are familiar to us when our soul gets overwhelmed and everything but the kitchen sink gets thrown into our tirade. While Jeremiah's context and culture and circumstances are very unique, we all understand the need to unburden our souls to the Lord who has called us to live out our faith in a very hard world. So perhaps today we might take something with us that is valuable in our walk with the Lord. So let's read together Jeremiah 20, beginning at verse 7. You deceived me, Lord. And I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word in my heart is like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it all in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived and then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind. Let me see your vengeance on them. For to you, I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy. From the hands of the wicked. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for um, your inspiration. May your Holy Spirit, God, speak words of life to us today. Amen. Jeremiah served the Lord as his prophet during the waning days of the kingdom of Judah. Israel, the northern kingdom, is already gone. And Judah is a vassal state of Assyria. But Assyria is also waning. So Judah is unstable as Babylon rises and Egypt makes a play. When Jeremiah first begins his ministry, King Josiah is on the throne. He is a good king. He is the last good king that Judah will have. Together, Josiah and Jeremiah try to bring revival. They try to bring righteousness and reverent worship of God back to the people. But then Josiah is killed in battle and the people revert back to doing whatever they want. And Jeremiah is left to be God's voice pretty much alone through a succession of five more kings. He does this work for 40 years. The personal life and struggles of Jeremiah are more well known than any other Old Testament prophet. He had a way of writing and expressing himself into the story that makes him very real and very accessible to us. His name either means the Lord exalts or the Lord throws. As Jeremiah gets thrown into a defiant Judah with God's truth, you see that his name is very apt. Six times in this book, you will see what scholars call his confessions. They are moments when the author stops. To have a dialogue with God and he lays bare his soul where he is brutally honest with the Lord about what he is experiencing. Sometimes, as with all prayer, the Lord responds with encouragement or with discipline. What we read today is the sixth and the last of his confessions. Now, Jeremiah is not a chronological book. If you read it, you won't kind of get like this linear kind of uh timeline of jeremiah's life but the confessions are linear so the last one of his confessions is the most direct and the most bitter against god there are five points that i want to highlight today in his complaint before the lord and i want to talk about them so that we might find a connection in our own lives for each point i'm going to put the scripture back up on the powerpoint so you can see them but i'm not going to read them again So if that bugs you, then I guess just don't look at it. Okay. Point one, the first, don't complain about it later. Okay. The first point is found in verses seven and eight. Here we see Jeremiah telling the Lord, this is clearly not working. He starts in on God, not just telling him what is wrong, but blaming God for everything that has transpired. Lord, you deceived me into doing this work. The word deceived here actually means seduced or enticed. So what Jeremiah is saying is, you made these promises about what this work was going to be. You painted this great picture of what it was going to be. And I agree to it. And that is so not what it is. But it is clear from these words, Jeremiah really thought somehow things were going to be different. Maybe at this point, he thought that there would be a change in people's hearts or the situation at hand. And you hear the weariness here of his soul at the constant barrage of being ridiculed, of speaking words of destruction and being reproached. Pastor Doug was reminding me this morning that whenever we feel discouraged in our ministry, we should just remember Jeremiah because that guy never had like a positive day in his life. (laughs) So Jeremiah is saying, really, God, this is your plan? There's absolutely no resolution to the situation that I see. I'm being obedient, and all I'm getting is grief in return. When we're called by God to a surrendered life, there are times that we're going to feel this way. Perhaps you feel this way today. Lord, how can I go on? Would you look at my situation? This is the abundant life you promised me. There are times we feel little joy where God has led us. And we find that there is little to do except cry out in pain and frustration. By the way, the experts didn't talk about this in their analysis of complaining. But talking to God about our lot is always better than complaining about him to other people. Just a little pastoral tip I want to give you. (laughs) When we surrender our lives to the cross of Christ, we take our grievances straight to the source of life. There's no other real solution. Point two. Jeremiah goes straight from blame to realization. Probably not for the first time. That he is compelled to do the work that God has asked him to do. In verse 9, he's saying he can't stop. He knows he has been asked by God to serve him. He has been called by name. The Lord has asked him to be faithful and to do what is necessary. Jeremiah's life is not his own. And the prophet recognizes that if he doesn't speak, that there's a fire in his heart that can't be contained. He's saying it's even actually more difficult to keep them in than it is to let them out. Jeremiah's thought about this, I think. And he knows he has a choice He's not a puppet. God doesn't make anybody do his work. But what is Jeremiah's other option? To give in? To live a life apart from the Lord? And then what would happen to the people? Because it's clear when you read the book of Jeremiah that he loves the people of Judah. There comes a time for all of us, perhaps more than once in our lives... When we have to face the reality of our situation and choose whom we will serve. When we follow the Lord, he's in charge. We are not. That's what Pastor Doug said last week. While there are um, benefits to not having to carry some of the burden of being the one in charge and being the one in front. When we follow it, it means that we don't get to decide where we go or Um, Who gets the last word in what we do? When Josiah was the king, Josiah tried to bring reform. And when he died, it was was evident that the people were just giving him lip service. They were just kind of going through the motions of worship. But they didn't really have any interest in who God was. They didn't have any interest in what God wanted from them. Because after Josiah died, they went right back to doing what they wanted with little concern for what God wanted which is why Jeremiah had great job security. What work has, given, has God given you? What passion do you have that's in your bones that you can't help but do it? What love do you have for people or for a cause that God has given you that burns in your soul and you have no other choice but to obey him and join him in that work? Three, in verses uh, 10 and 11, Jeremiah reminds God that not only are his enemies against him, but his friends are as well. Okay, so that's a bummer. There are a few people that Jeremiah can trust. People are waiting to take him down. They're waiting to see if he's going to slip. Did you know that there's a word in English, the dictionary that is attributed to this prophet, because of the words that we read right now? The word is jeremiah Not kidding, and it means a long, mournful complaint. A list of woes often applied to moralistic texts that denounce a society for its wickedness. You'll find Jeremiah's employed by all kinds of preachers and activists in our world, like Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Frederick Douglass, One of the great, great leaders of the 19th century who tried to lead our country out of slavery. He was modeled after Jeremiah as well. You can think of lots of examples in your head. We need prophetic voices in our midst who decry the ills of society, of culture, of the church when we veer off course from following God. One of the hardest things about being a Christian, no matter where you live, is truly being different than those around you. People should be murmuring about our lives. We should be speaking up in a way that makes them wonder who we are or what we're doing. That makes them uncomfortable. Christianity doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And when we truly follow Jesus, it's a threat. Not because of us, but because the spirit of God living in us. Because the spirit brings judgment. And the way we live at our faith sometimes makes people squirm before we even utter a word. Is that true in your life? Point four. Uh, Maybe Jeremiah would like to um, use um, those around him as an excuse to stop his work. That's what I thought when I first read this. And then I thought, no, he just wants vengeance. (laughs) In verses 11 and 12, he basically tells the Lord, you brought destruction on everyone else. You can do it here too. Have you ever just wanted to smite somebody? Don't lie. I know you have. (laughs) Jeremiah 2. Here we read harsh hopes for those who are making his life difficult. This is not the first time he utters these words. In chapter 11, you see these words almost verbatim. He probably knows it will never happen, but have you ever just fantasized about revenge in such a way that gets your mind off the issue at hand, your life at hand? Aren't there times you just want to get someone back to scapegoat those around you and feel better? Would that really take our minds off what the Lord has asked us to do in our own soul? I believe that God allows us our process of vocalizing our feelings and inappropriate longings with him. You can tell God anything. You might as well. He knows it anyway. But we can't stay there. It's bad for us. It puts us in the position of believing that we are better than the people around us. Like we're not sinners. Staying in that place of frustration and wanting revenge May lead us to take actions or say words that cause destruction and have deep consequences. So if you're in a vengeful place today, I would encourage you to get it off your chest with the Lord. Take time today in your prayer closet or at the beach or wherever and leave it with him. Don't allow that vengeance and that frustration and that wanting to smite to eat up your soul. We end our focus here on praise. There's actually more to the complaint after this, the Jeremiah here, but the lectionary stops us at verse 13, so we get to stop here too. When I read this, it felt like fresh air coming into a stagnant room. While it's true that after he says this, he goes back to complaining and saying he wished he had never been born, and some scholars say that he actually might not have written verse 13, that somebody added it in for him after he died. (laughs) I just want to tell you that I believe that he did. And I want to tell you that in our protesting prayers, even when we're complaining to the Lord, oftentimes we stop to put in praise. Although praise is the opposite of complaint, it's normal for us to remind ourselves, Lord, I know you're good. I know you're faithful. I know you're true. I know you're loving in the middle of our negative rant. So I want to remind you to keep doing that when you're at the end of your rope. It's okay to complain and be frustrated with him, but he is still worthy of our praise, and he has our best interests at heart. As we come to the end of our study today, I want to point out that there are commonalities with the nation of Judah and the church today. We might not be on the brink of being subsumed by another culture, but there are definite times when we, who say we follow the Lord, choose to go our own way. And we have prophetic voices calling us to holiness and to living out God's mandate who tell us to abide in Jesus first and foremost. To let go of the sin that we're in the middle of that causes us pain. And sometimes we just don't want to hear it. Sometimes, like Judah, we just give lip service, knowing that. And hoping that our ties with the Lord will see us through. And sometimes we just want to pick and choose. Just like Judah did. When we think that God doesn't really care very much about that. And instead of asking him what he really would desire for our lives. We just kind of go on doing it. Because it kind of boils down to what we want. Versus what he wants. You see God wants a people who will receive his love who will share his truth, who will treat one another with kindness, who will live out the call that he puts uniquely on each one of us. He wants us to be holy and be good stewards of what, he is, what he's given us. He wants us to be voices for change in our communities. And we don't do this alone. We do it with him in growing dependence and trust. But sometimes we just want to live for ourselves and look like the world around us. We just want to satisfy our own pleasures and not think very hard about eternity. For this moment in Jeremiah's life, he just wants to be done. He just wants comfort. He wants vindication. He wants the Lord to shut things down. He is tired of God's children, of the church, only caring about themselves and not caring that the world is imploding around them. In the end, Jeremiah knows he will have none of his wants satisfied. He ends his lament and he gets up and he goes back to work the next day. His ministry ends when he is taken captive by Judah's last king on their way to Egypt. The king has zero intention of repenting. Zero intention of listening to what the Lord says, but he wants Jeremiah to keep telling him what the Lord wants. What a tragedy. As we think about what we study today, let's take time in prayer. Let's converse with the Lord about whether or not our wants in life are in alignment with his. We can complain and fight against him, or we can serve him. There's no in between. Let's pray.